Hello and welcome to my series of conversations with stalwarts of music. Today's episode is being partnered along with Perpetual Buzz Experiences, which is an artist representation company, and they have three very basic but lofty goals. They're the launchpad for indie musicians, helping them leverage success in the best possible way, helping produce some of the most memorable experiences. And the process also involves great amount of funding for social causes and make sure that artists and people receiving have a great time in the process. Be sure to check them out on www.perpetualbuzz.com. We have yet another podcast partner, which is Wire Up Music Store, one of the finest music retail stores with state-of-art equipment, your one-stop solution for musical gear, ranging from guitars to ukulele, percussive to classical instruments. Do check out their Instagram page, which goes by the handle at the rate wireup.india. My guest today is from the world of electronica and world music. He began his career as a drummer at quite an early age, receiving his first ever drum set at the age of two. Having taught himself throughout his childhood, he broke out into the professional music space at the age of 18. He joined the Monty Alexander Group and he toured with several other groups that launched him to the major jazz music scene. And he's featured at the North Sea Jazz Festival at Rotterdam, the Montreux Jazz Festival, and a couple of other interesting occasions in Athens and other parts of the world. He has culminated all of his sensibilities having collaborated with jazz greats that are ranging from artists like Dizzy Gillespie to Nina Simone. He's known to blend in so many different styles of music ranging from jazz, drum and bass, and he's got, he's got this signature style which is called Jungle. Uh, a culmination of all of these influences has sort of provocated him to focus in a direction along with his passion project, Jojo Mayer and the Nerve. This entire project involves techniques such as reverse engineering, which is a phrase that is borrowed from computing. And he executes his approach using various methods, uh, wherein he uses complex sensibilities of being a drummer. Uh, a lot of these techniques has made him play at astonishing speeds that one couldn't even possibly think of. A few of his main influences are legends like Tony Williams, Buddy Rich, and he's a leader, as I mentioned earlier, of the group, the super group, to put it right, Jojo Mayer and the Nerve. Without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my guest for today, Jojo Mayer. He'll be joining us in a few. Hi, Jojo. Namaste. How are you? Uh, Aditya, how are you, bro? Very well. Mm, very well. Very well, thank you. Which part? Which part? It looks so beautiful. Where are you at? I'm in Europe. I'm in Switzerland. Oh, wonderful. So that's, uh, that's home ground, I believe. Well, uh, since a year, yeah. After living in New York for 30 years, uh -huh. I moved to Switzerland. I'm Wonderful. originally from Switzerland. I know that. I'm aware of that. Yeah. Great. So let's get started with our agenda for today. I mm -hmm. have uh, some very interesting questions coming your way. 
Okay. So, Jojo, you have performed wearing so many different hats. Which is sort of the most preferred one for you? Well, I think the most preferred one is to uh, being able to express myself authentically, you know, mm-hmm. without having to wear a hat. Just being <laughs> able to be be myself, really. You know, like I mean, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of situations where you you cater to, uh, as you know, aiding or providing to another idea. You know, and, and you know sometimes this there, there there's an overlap, but uh, um, I've been a sideman for for many years, and for pretty much the past twenty years, I I decided to just do my own projects and do my own music, you know, and, and I, I still collaborate with other people, but I don't do sideman work mm-hmm. uh, of that nature anymore. So, so I kind of took off that hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so to speak. A lot of them uh, have quoted you as, as a drummer who's, who's physical, very physical in the sense that uh, you seem to have a huge, uh, bond going on with your particular instrument that transcends to a lot more than just the role of performance, right? In terms of serving that, one could call it as a medium of simulating contemporary aesthetics, and some would call it abstraction of a musical form like electronic music in real time, which is essentially what you do. And you have explored mm-hmm. and devised the clapping technique, Amen breaks, finger technique, etc. How have they helped you with the, with the practice and from the aspect of performance? Well, okay, this is that um, that that question encompasses a lot of different areas. So let let's address the first one. Um, uh, the drums is is a very physical instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's very physical. It's very kinetic, also like visually. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of movement. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean. To play a wind instrument is very physical too, but it's it's not as visible to the to the spectator. You know? Correct. Yeah. So I think you're you're relating to the physicality of the the visual appearance of drumming, which is kind of like you know spectacular because it, it kinetic. A lot of things are going on, mm-hmm. and of course, any any instrument that like requires a physical uh, um, uh, engagement. Mm-hmm. It's um, a good idea to to use technology that makes it easier for you to execute those type of things. You know, it, you don't need to have proper technique to play musically, express yourself way, but it can be very tiring. So, you know, as you, as, as you go to like a certain eras or certain aspects of, speed or dynamics you know uh, a proper knowledge of of how to execute those things in the most easy way comes in very very handy so so i i you know beside the fact that i started to play the drums when i was very young like like two years old so naturally developed a uh, a natural relationship with the with the instrument 
I, I I was always on the outlook to like learn as much about the instrument, you know, uh, um, technically, but you know, of course, culturally as well, you know, which yeah. which brings us to this to the second uh, part of the question. Um, you know, to me, yes, I am a drummer, but my role as a drummer is subordinated to my role as a musician. And I think my role as a musician is subordinated to my role as an artist. And I stand, I understand music as art. I mean, music doesn't have to be art. It can be many different things. It can be there's entertainment and, you know, it is a lot of different things. But to me, art is close to my heart. And my understanding of art is... It's a platform to experiment with new ideas. You know, it's an experiment. It's uh, art comes before science. It comes before society. It's usually um, um, the great artists are the people that open the door mm -hmm. to a new understanding or a different understanding to how we live or how we could live. You know, so I think art and the future outlook are very related um you know um, brian eno once said something really beautiful he said like he understands art as a tool that that mankind has been using to push themselves into the future Got it. and and i can relate to that so i'm interested in discovery i'm interested in deviating from the norm i'm interested in progress um, I'm, I'm interested in new syntax because all of my heroes throughout art and music, when we talk about music, they were all pioneers. And I'm fascinated by people that are courageous enough to, you know, step into the unknown. Because all the new things, they wait in the unknown to be discovered. So this is my general artistic point of view. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you've sort of transcended and evolved as a musician. You've seen several many faces and still there's like this, this rigor within you to explore new facets of creativity, which is totally commendable. I give it to you for that. Thank you. <laughs> in, in the niche that you cater to, which essentially involves drum, bass and beats and a lot of electronics, right? It is difficult to use a conventional methodology of response and understanding it. Uh, if if we were to look at layman, there are two kinds of responding to music, right? Two kinds of response uh, from an audience standpoint. Uh, it can be either those who are educated in the vocabulary that you cater to and the discourse of science around it. And those who are purely like me, uh, who respond from the gut. Yes. What is your take on that in terms of the responses of the audiences? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a very good question and, and, and it's a deep question. Um, mm -hmm. And, and um, I appreciate you, you answering this question because uh, uh, it's a very, very interesting field. Mm -hmm. And there's many different ways, uh, many different viewpoints to, to look at that. The way I see it is... Um, I don't believe, and you know, this is not the common notion that most people have. I don't believe that music intrinsically is emotional. 
I don't believe so. You know, you can have a sincerely emotional person yeah. sitting behind an instrument mm -hmm. and, you know, but that person does not have the technology or the understanding how to translate through the focus of this instrument. So it will arrive on the other side as like, yeah, well, this person plays the bongos really emotionally, but, you know, I, it doesn't touch me really. You know, this is one thing. So you actually have to know where the ropes are. You know, like to, to give you a very uh, a blatant example, you know, let's say, for instance, see, a, a person like Steven Spielberg mm -hmm. knows where the ropes are. You know, he can, he said, okay, I want you to smile, I want you to laugh, I want you to cry, I want you to be scared. So he knows how to create those um, responses from you. Mm -hmm. Now, those responses are culturally conditioned. Um, you know, um, having someone slip on a banana peel will make most people laugh ar around the globe, although it's kind of like a very drama thing because a person is getting hurt, you know? So it's actually not something, it's not a laughing matter, but, you know, it's a slapstick thing. And, and uh some things will make a person scare, scared, like a wild animal that, that can devour you, so, or the noise of a wild animal. So these responses, like we can use, we can translate them in art and in music as well. Mm -hmm. So when say like when 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 like musically, uh, music lives from contrast, and music lives from uh, uh, from dynamics, you know, and those then dynamics. We, we are able to ev evocate these emotional responses um, to, to basically to create an emotional res response without operating those ropes is very difficult, but I'm very interested in it because if you manage to do that, you, you, you discover the pure artistic form, you know, and we all steal, we all, you know, we all copy from... It's a part of learning, assimilation, but at the point where you get artistically to the point where you say, okay, then I think the true values punch through, you know, like values like honesty, uh, compassion, humor, courage. Now, throughout the ages, the surface of those things has changed. You know, this is, this is why it's important to re-innovate into a new shape. You know, this is what all the people, you know, <clears throat> if you allow me to quote another person that was Gustav Mahler, the composer, he mm -hmm. once said, uh, the tradition is not to pray to the ashes, but to pass on the fire. And the way I see it, there's only one fire and it's the same in Mozart than in, it's the same in Stravinsky, it's the same in Duke Ellington, it's the same in John Coltrane or Charlie Parker, it's the, but it's also the same with the Beatles and Hendrix and Pink Floyd and Aphex Twin or, you know what I'm saying, like, I, I think that, that, that flame reincarnates when an old body becomes rigid, you know, so um, I think the emotional response happens at the moment where you are able to connect in some way. And that moment you can create by different means, by manipulation, mm -hmm. 
but also by honesty. So I'm interested in the in the honesty moment. But right, of course, course, I know you know, uh, I know certain things will just trigger an emotional response. You know, mm -hmm. physical display of ability very often does that. Now, to maybe to conclude this, I mean, we could talk for the rest of the show only about this because <laughs> it's it's a great subject. It's very fascinating. But maybe what I would like to add about this um, uh, is, um, you know, uh, how should I put this in a in a very short, condensed, uh, uh, you know, when <clears throat> risk and this this emotional response. Um, you can, uh, how should I say, uh, give me one thing. It's, 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 I'm trying to bring a lot of information into a, a Take short your time. That's, that's all right. Um, um, well, I think, okay. Let's move on to the next question because maybe <laughs> right. it will, it will, it will come back to me. It's, you know, this is. I think a lot about those those, those things and and, and, and the emotional re responses. You know, actually, I have it. I got it. You know, very often there are certain notions when it's someone is very virtuosic mm -hmm. in this. You know, and and does something that like uh, astounds people or impresses people. Yeah. In being impressed is also an emotional response, but it's not as deep. I think. What is very important, you can, it's not, it's not the technological, you know, uh, complexity that pushes people away. You know, usually say, okay, this is too complex. People don't get it, you know, and, 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 and you will lose people because it's too abstract. And I'm not sure if this is true. Uh, I believe that even if you've been in the most complex display, of art or music, if if the emotional element exists, mm -hmm. it will translate. You know, this is what I'm saying. So I don't think I, I think even music, which is can be very difficult to listen to, and say, so, okay, I, I don't get it. You know, this stuff doesn't touch me at all. Usually it's not because it's complicated. Usually it's because the claim was not to transport something emotional but it was the claim was to display abilities i think this is the only problem you know that that would maybe consolidate uh <laughs> my point of view about complexity versus simplicity you know since we're already in the topic of uh, your music uh, as a matter of fact your audience base uh, in different parts of the world is essentially huge and it's it's still picking up by the day. And there is a great deal of interest in your particular art form. Uh, I'm referring to Jojo Mayer and the Nerve. Uh, artistry survives despite complaints about problems with the organic artistry being depicted in electronic music and what have you. There obviously is an interest role and place for the music that you play. What is this place? Okay. Um, I hope I understand your question 
because mm-hmm. it, again, it's a very multi-layer question. Um, you know, I'm trying to bring things together. You know, like you know, I'm very, I'm, I, 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 I have a deep interest in in history and mm-hmm. culture. You know, going back very, very, very long. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to observe carefully. Um, things that happen, I'm trying to understand them as well. You know, I, I don't always understand them, but um, you know, I see. Okay, when we talk about the flame that I mentioned, you know, like you know, what is it that I love about Mozart? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that I love about uh, Coltrane? What is it that I love about Hendrix? What is it that I love about Aphex Twin? You know, I'm trying to, you know, what. What unifies those artists? You know, because on the surface, you know, it's very obvious that they're very, very different. Yeah. But I'm interested what what connects them. I, I think for me, they express those values that I mentioned before. You know, curiosity, uh, they fearlessness in a way. Yeah. They they authenticity, uniqueness. Um, and I'm trying to um, be able to, to create a body for those va- uh, for, for for those values. You know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to to um, create a body for the flame, basically. You know, right. and I know it's not going to last forever. You know, and and it will at some point they will die out and become rigid as I'm saying you know as much as I love jazz and you know I play jazz for all my life and I love this music and it's an an incredible achievement possibly the the most important American art form that was created but jazz for very long has reached the apex of its relevancy and there's still people that, that play this art form very beautifully and very skillfully but you know, if you compare the first half of like the first fifty years with the last fifty years of jazz, the first fifty years were an, an un, incredible, uh, you know, refreshing revolution. Every ten years, there was something new. You know, from New Orleans swing, uh, um, a big band, uh, a bebop, post pop, cool jazz, free jazz. Fusion, you know, and that happened in a very, very short time. And looking back from here, the past 40 years, we didn't have this momentum anymore. It went to other places for a minute. Then it was in rock music and in R&B, you know, in hip hop. Then it was in electronic music. And it's not in those styles anymore. You know, like all these styles after a while, you know, they become subject to the business and catalogization we need to put a label on it so people so we can sell it to people etc 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 so it becomes compartmentalized and the aspect of exploration has to yield to the aspect of exploitation (laughs) whether i think in any successful business exploitation and exploration have to be in a balance if this stops the art form dies, you know, it, it becomes a dead art form. So when I started Nerve, electronic music had an extreme 
uh, you know, um, was extremely powerful. A lot of new things, like I mean, jungle and drum and bass and 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 break beats and and techno in the mid in the early mid nineties. This was like opening the door wide open for a lot of new things. And because we live now, the media exchange works much faster than it did in the fifties when they when bebop was. You know, it, it um, the shelf life and the lifespan for its relevancy was shortened. You know, it was like a oh, like a flash. You know, like and then, but I started this idea of okay, I could reverse engineer. Uh, you know, machine behavior to human behavior and see what happens. It was an experiment and people liked it, you know, and so this was basically um, the basic idea. It's like it, it was an idea of contrast. I, I put a human element into something that does not necessarily have that human element, you know, and I also add an element of improvisation, which is very close to me. I, I think it's the highest form of playing music is to improvise is to 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 make things up to compose things on the spot so it's uh, it's a great feeling to to uh, being able it's very empowering to be able to improvise you know i mean i mean anyone anyone who had the experience of like in away from music having to improvise let's say you have unexpected guests for dinner, you know, mm -hmm. and you conjure something up, you improvise and, and have to, okay, like you didn't go shopping, you didn't prepare anything, but you make something and it turns to be a, a, a great evening. You know, it's it's empowering. Well, I was able to do that, you know. <laughs> so in music, it's like this too. But so adding those things to uh, uh, kind of bring those um, art forms together because electronic music is a premeditated art form and jazz is an improvisational art form. So that was the idea to bring those things together. And that was basically started the point of interest of people to pay attention to what we do, you know? It's and I'm, sh I'm sure you fared well in that uh, pursuit. I'm talking to you from India, all the way from India. And uh, well, you know, in the, the Indian, I mean, India is a, is a place of music and culture. Yeah. And when we talk about rhythm, mm -hmm. I mean the <laughs> the Indian uh, alphabet and syntax of rhythm. I think is is hundreds, if not thousands, years ahead of the Western world. It's intimidating, you know. To it's uh, there's so much to learn from it. It's so deep. Uh, so I think. Um, the Indian audience has a, 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 a profound understanding of rhythm, you know, so, and, and what I do is not, you know, I, I don't, I mean, sometimes I play simple beats, but, you know, sometimes I, I unpack it and, and it's great to, if an audience can follow, you know, and, 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 and has this curiosity. And in India, I, I definitely encounter the audience that, uh, I, and come on a trip with me, you know, that's mm -hmm. lovely. It's lovely. Uh, I, I mean, you, for that. You, you know, for, for maybe to, to uh, make a little bit of a bridge, you know, uh, I don't know where, you know, I have some other question, but um, currently what I'm working on, mm -hmm. um, which is like a solo project basically, okay. um, which is 
you know, working with new music technologies. Oh, so, wow. you know, with, you know, with, with any, you know, in order for Hendrix to do what he did, the electric guitar had to be invented. In order for Bach to do what he did, the pianoforte had to be invented. You know, Great. in order for jazz to be popular, the technology to record sound had to be in, in, invented because we needed the, the means to, to capture an improvisation, which, yes. you know, I, well, now Mozart and Bach, they were master improvisers, but they didn't have the means to record their, their improvisations. So jazz needed the technology of, of uh, sound recording to mm -hmm. become popular and, and to spread out. So with anything, you know, movies, film, you know, uh, so, so new, new technologies enable new art. Uh, and yeah. right now, you know, with AI coming towards us and, and algorithmic uh, technologies and uh, generative music, uh, I, I started to um, have a deeper interest in it. And yeah. I did at the, at before um, Corona, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brian Eno invited me to do some experiments at his studio in London. Was it the was it, it was the cyber illusion? Uh, is you're talking about? No, no, no. That was just something like you said. Okay, you know, you, you want to come to London, like, and you okay. we'll tinker around with some stuff, you know. Then got it. And Eno is, you know, he's at the he's always been on the spearhead of of those technologies, and although I, you know. Uh, I, I was acquainted for it, you know. I would, I never went deep into it, it despite the fact that I was, to a big degree, um, uh, inspired by electronic music. So, uh, you know, in the process, I, I, I thought to myself, "Wow, this is really like this is really going to be an important part of the future of music creation." And if I had a year off, I would get into it, <laughs> you know. Because it's a steep learning curve. Right. And then Corona came. <laughs> all touring got canceled. All, a lot of uh, my activities were on hold. So I had this year off, you know, and actually more than a year. So I started to experiment with those technologies, start to learn about it. And, and from this came uh, my upcoming project, which I'll, I'll launch in Paris for the first time. Yeah. at the end of this month and it's called me machine oh wow yeah. it's basically it's it's basically the reverse of what i've been doing with nerve in a way because um nerve is about humans imitating the idiosyncrasies of a machine and now i'm collaborating with a computer that can react to my playing. So I'm teaching the computer human <laughs> behavior. Okay. And I'm teaching the computer to somehow improvise, you know, so I, I can sort of, uh, you know, I can program, program the computer to how to erratic or how chaotic um, it will behave to what I put into the computer with my drumming. You know, and then what what comes out um, can be very surprising. <laughs> so it really challenges my improvisational skill to legitimize the computer's innovations. 
So in a way, it's like now it's a it's a human that is um, imitating the idiosyncrasies or or the behavior of a machine yeah. playing music with a with a computer that imitates the behavior of a of a human. And I think that's you know I'm just at the beginning of of this, but uh, uh, I'm very fascinated in, and I, and I think. A, a part of where we're heading with the future this is going to be an important part and 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 things that we never heard yeah. is going to come out of this you know and like the question is the question is it, in order for us to identify music as music we need things that are familiar to us you know so like the level of abstraction can be with this with those new tools can completely surpass uh, the abstraction of uh, of humans, you know. But, you know, in order not to lose the emotionality, you know, that becomes a challenge. It's not just the technical stuff, but uh, what I've been thinking of very, very, very much is, um, you know, growing up in the last century where you can identify the 60s. We know what the 60s look like what they sounded like the 70s we know they were different than the 60s or were you know they different clothes different style different music the 80s the 90s they all had these different things that we can completely relate to from the surface and now from the past 20 years that surface has somehow flatlined you know everything is a lot of things are retro and you know like we don't have these crazy um aesthetical changes so with this new instrument that gives me the skeletal tools to create really new music it still has to wear an aesthetic surface and what is this aesthetic surface you know what are the aesthetics mm -hmm. of the time that we live in after 20 years of flatlining aesthetically right. you know so th this has been one of the bigger challenges artistically, um, you know, stepping into the unknown futures, so to say. Very, very interesting process. On that note, I'd like to ask you another question. Would you ever consider your music, uh, say, a performance or maybe, uh, you know, a session of yours on the metaverse, since we are in the epicenter of technology at this point? Well, you know, I'm I'm not an expert on it, you know. Okay. I personally think the metaverse is a hype. Got it. I don't think it's going to happen. Right. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, like this, I mean there's billions of of monies at stake in right. it. You know? Yeah. But I think it's it's a bubble. It's a yeah. bubble. I uh, I I I distrust it. I distrust it. I I don't think it's going to work. Uh, too much hype, you know. I mean, with a lot of AI things as well, you know. I mean, uh, you know, we're we're not even close to the narrative of some people. From my observation, as I said, I'm not a I'm not an expert, you know. Or, you know, I, I might admit, there's some information that I might not have, but uh, I. I so I'm, I'm trying to follow my curiosity and 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 look at things and uh, observe them carefully. And I think 
there's a lot of money behind it and a lot of hype, but um, things are going to come out from it, you know, like, you know, not every future technology is AI or like metaverse, you know, yeah. but the metaverse, uh, mm, I don't think so. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, look, 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 if someone, enter, if, if someone approaches me with a proposition that gives me an, uh, gives me an opportunity to learn more about this, you know, uh, I would definitely think about it, you know, but, you know, just basically, am I going to see my, a Jojo Mayer avatar in the, in the metaverse from what I know right now? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds fair to me. <laughs> well, you know, the future is not just, the future is not just uh, electronic tools, but the future is also, a lot of other elements, you know, like we have climate change, yeah. we, 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 we have uh, uh, great obstacles for which we need to find solutions. We need to adjust as a society in order to, to, to reach certain goals, you know, and, and, and I think those will also have a profound effect of the future of our, the way we live, the way we perceive art and life and music as well. So this will also bring out new, new, uh, new art forms. You know, I mean, just to give you an example, you know, Led Zeppelin or or Kiss, they used to tour around the world uh, with a Boeing seven forty seven with a with a jumbo jet. Yeah. You know, to do this nowadays would be completely irresponsible and completely neglecting uh, the aspect of sustainability. Yeah. So. Touring around the world as a musician, you know, things like climate change will also have a profound impact, impact yeah. on our, our, our behaviors, you know, and go like, okay, are, are we still going to be able to do that? Or we'll have to create some new ideas for it. You know, things will be more local uh, in the same way that, you know, those big, um, you know, metropolitan eras like, yeah, whatever. In the last century, Paris, London, New York, Tokyo, there be they will be losing their relevance culturally. You know, they will be maybe some fi some financial playgrounds. But I I strongly believe that the new culture, you know, since we have this, you know, and uh, will come from microscopical uh, cells of, you know. 12 people in in a small medium-sized city it great culture could come from everywhere and it comes from everywhere it's just the mainstream right now has been controlled i think by by tools that are being operated like we used to operate things in the past century you know so we need the new platforms and the new tools to be uh, congruent with a new situation globally, you know. Got it. So those things will have a also a very very big uh, effect on uh, our cultural life and our, our cultural per perception. Uh, speaking of the arts, uh, one problem that we do have in the arts is the underlying question whether you want to create clones of yourself 
or would you like the individual within you to emerge sometimes the individual might be mistaken for the ego and if you encourage too much of it you might have somebody who's a little monster uh, oh, tony yes. yeah. tony williams has been a major inspiration for you and mm-hmm. uh, while while growing up and uh, later you took took the stand of not listening to him for a, a certain while uh, wherein you <laughs> wanted to sort of you know focus on your own creative techniques and figure out another realm of music right it must have been pretty hard so how important is identity for any musician to establish and how can one bring the individuality which is within them okay well you know tony williams just to give you the, the example and um, uh, tony williams was like a teacher for me you know and and, and i assimilated his playing you know yeah. assimilated him and uh uh and through the study of uh, him you know i could go past the surface of his representation and maybe understand what type of person that he was i mean i met tony williams once when i was like 17 you know wow but you know like you know i never had the privilege to really hang out with him or have a friendship which uh, would have been interesting but still through his music you know i go like okay understand what type of person he probably was you know with um you know besides the unbelievable talent and the unbelievable resourcefulness and creativity that, that he had that you know that creativity came from somewhere and it's not only that's not just positive places but also the shadow side of your personality you know that you deal with pain and things like that i mean you know it's not it's not for no reason that there is a lot of those incredible places people that the monsters that you were talking about you know although they inspired us yeah self destroyed doctor you know michael jackson and elvis prince you know i mean they're they're heroes you know they're father figures but their shadows devoured them you know and that so i think that can happen i think if you're uh you know we have to talk about the subject of persona not identity and it's not the same thing identity is one thing ego is one thing persona i think the persona becomes a very dangerous part if your persona becomes too you know you use a persona to protect yourself it's like a shield you, you know you don't really have to show who you truly are you know but this is a show business type of thing you can be this could be anything you know it can be an artist but it can be a religious leader you know that has a persona you know you really know what that person does you know after he talks to his disciples you know does he really do everything that he tells his disciples to do well if yes then it's great if no i think then we have a you know we have a a, a cognitive dissonance or like a problem which is uh, insincere you know now the problem with the persona if you lose your identity behind the persona that can be very dangerous it can be very dangerous because it can lead you to places that are not congruent with you know you lose your soul to you know what 
people would describe this as the soul. This becomes at stake. I think, um, you know, with like Tony Williams, it was like I became a clone of like Tony Williams. And we're like, okay, I need to make room for growth. So, as, and I still love Tony Williams, you know, I mean, you know, like, like we can listen to Tony Williams for the entire night, you know, and we, there was something new that I would uh, discover. But at that point, it was like, I need to make room. So it's important to kill your heroes. It's important to kill them, you know. It's important to kill your babies, your artistic babies, you know. It's important for, like, growth. So these are painful things, and it's scary to do that, but it's very important that you have the strength to do that. Otherwise, you will be devoured by other persona or your own persona. You have to be able to move and not to be like, you know, it's like armor, you know, like your armor becomes so thick that you're not able to move anymore. Uh, and and, and you, stop, uh, you stop living. You only exist. Now, uh, I think, you know, like while we talk right now, you and I, and everybody that participates and, and follows us, mm-hmm. right now I'm the real person. As soon as this will exist on YouTube, you know, it's going to be a clone of me. Correct. To a certain degree, you know, so I think this is why it's so important to have real time experiences, you know, like something that is happening right now, because the real time experience, it's much more difficult to get it. Um, uh, how do you say to get a compromise or or sabotage or or um, how should I say, uh, you know, it becomes corrupted, you know, like like we, you and I in a room is going to be less misunderstandings. You know, I could something that maybe personal, you know, it it could be insulting to you, but it would be, or it would be insulting to me, but in a way, because our body language, you know, we can neutralize it. It's like, okay, well, I didn't really mean it that way. It's something that I say that is printed can be taken out of context and can be very inflammatory and, you know, taken out of its context. So I think that's why it's important to, to keep somehow the smallness of things. You know, if, they, if things get big, they can become corrupted, which, by the way, it's also the same thing. As I said, the greatest ideas, jazz, rock and roll, hip-hop, the greatest ideas, if they become too big, corruption enters and they become corrupted. So the greatest idea, it's only a matter of time and size. It become come a storefront for BS, so to say. That's why it's important to reincarnate the true values into a new shape, you know, just to kind of, you know, uh, come back to a reference because we're all these things are co- somehow connected with each other. A, you know, so this is how I see it. You know, so so identity is important. Mm-hmm. Authenticity is important. Uh, be yourself. You know, try to you know even the things that you don't like about yourself. You know, you can improve those, but they are a part of yourself. Your shadow side. You know, Michael Jackson, 
you know, um, uh, um, Janis Joplin, you know, all these, Amy Winehouse, you know, all these people that provided extreme beauty were probably not even able to provide this beauty without being in touch with their shadow side, you know, and, but you have to control it. You have to, uh, you have to become a master of it and don't be devoured by it. So identity, yes. Authenticity, absolutely. Ego, we have to have this, we have to have it in check. Persona, necessary sometimes to protect you. But it's for the it's um, as long as you understand the persona is for other people, not for you. Correct. Yeah. If you if you fall prey to your own magic trick, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to touch upon the music education side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, you've done a numerous amount of instructional videos on drum techniques uh, during your collaboration with Hudson Music and a couple of other uh, entities. How do scholarships sit with someone like you? How does scholarship? How do scholarships sit with someone like you? Define scholarship. For me at this point uh academically like how okay yeah just like the apparatus of, of okay okay yes well why well, i believe that education is central it's essential to pass on knowledge is a very important this is the reason why i did it you know a lot of the things that i know i didn't come up with them myself but you know, I, I got it from somewhere. Somewhere it was people's generosity that let me in on something that is not obvious but very important. And sometimes it was just work in, you know, yeah. you know, digging and digging and digging and digging until I found yeah. uh, this. Now, when it comes to the institution mm -hmm. of academia, Okay, the, uh, one of the problems that I have sometimes comes from a question that I think a lot of academic institutions cannot answer either sincerely or competent. It's a very simple question is what are you educating people for? Wow. You know, like, project that question to any body of, uh, and I, you know, then I see <coughs> some problems, you know. I mean, our education system, to a big extent that we have, not just music, <coughs> is about... 200 years old and it's and it's been built to coexist with industrialization you know it was basically people were educated to become a dial that serves the machinery of industrialization now we enter the new time new millennium like we're post industrialization we're post globalization um we need people, you know, it's like I grew up 
where you could educate someone to be, be a bass, uh, a, a guitar player, and he will be a guitar player for the rest of his life. As you know, you would have career spanning, you know, people like uh, Carlos Santana or Eric Clapton. They had careers that spanning 50 years. Yeah. I don't think this is going to be possible in the future. I, I, I think already it's not possible anymore. Like right now, we have, we enter the retraining generation. People that will do something for a certain t- period of time, and they have their experiences and they will go somewhere else. You know, it could, it could be, you know, you could be a composer and then you become a landscape architect and then you go into 3D printing. Yeah. You know, it could be any, so it is, you're an artistic person or you're more a mathematic person, you know, mm-hmm. or you a little bit of both, yeah. you know, you will have to find your way to express yourself and, and make money somehow, you know. So when it comes to music education, I think that question is no longer sincerely or competently at, uh, answered. What are we educating people for? Oh. You know, what happens to them if they go out? I believe we need massive changes in education generally, but specifically in music and. Ed- education as well you know fundamentally it also must be quite challenging uh, like you mentioned like for multifaceted individuals such as you uh, you're talented in different aspects of music and then there is uh, right from you know the session work that you do to the music that you create you can always look at it as a qualification of a performer or a creator who's equally involved, such as you, in the music education realm. Mm -hmm. And you're someone who's equally sensitive to a student's set of needs and imperatives. Uh, But don't you think it can also sort of be a barrier? Uh, Say you're a drummer, you make beats, and you embody multiple facets of creativity in just music. How do you sort of take a step back from these different roles when is when it's needed <clears throat> well now we come back to the to the to the uh, the question of identity mm-hmm. you know i don't ind- identify myself as a drummer i'm a musician i'm a musician and an artist that uses the drums to express himself correct there was a time in my life where i was a drummer but i I, I made an effort to, to expand uh, on that, you know, because, you know, really, I came to this conclusion because I had the privilege to do my work mainly, but, you know, to the opportunity that my work allowed me to, to travel all around the world and meet really interesting people. So, you know, the circle of my friends of course, uh, there's some musicians, but you know, there's some scientists, some politicians, some uh, actors, some painters. You know, that they, they they all of them architects. They all do different things, and yeah. we can sit together and have long conversations about things. And we always meet. You know, you have a, you have an architect, a musician, and a lawyer. 
yeah. and we find the subject and that in, that is intriguing to all of us, you know, and and touches the field of our expertise to a certain degree. Say, you know, we find when I talk to an architect, I say, well, as a musician, I'm also an architect, but I'm not an architect of physical space. I'm an architect of time, you know, and boom, you know, like we we connect. So we can exchange. I think this is very important to 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 find opportunities where you're not the smartest guy in the room, you know, and find opportunities where people are, are curious, people are trying to expand. And I had the privilege to have access to those people, and they were like, "Wow, this is interesting," you know, and to and it and you know they don't need to be like people that win Nobel prizes. <laughs> it's sometimes ordinary people, people doing ordinary things. Like, for instance, you know, when I, uh, I moved, I moved to to New York, to the United States, and I got a green card, and I had to start to pay taxes there. At that point, you know, I was already a kind of successful side man, and you know, working with with famous people, and uh, my my tax lady kind of asked me. So what do you do? How do you make your money? You know, I explained to her what it is and say, well, let me tell you one thing, you know, my field, I do taxes for people. I have some very, very rich people and I have some starving artists as well. And I have some musicians that do well and some that do not well. I got to, I, I know how, who makes how, how much money in this town. I don't know who stays. I don't know who leaves. And I, in my observation, let me tell you one thing. If you stay a side man, you're going to have some good years and some bad years, but chances are you never are going to make a substantial amount of money. Yeah. If you want to make a substantial amount of money, you have to be your own industry, your own business, your own brand. You have to do that. And that stuck with me. No, no musician ever told me that. You know? <laughs> it was my tax, my, my tax uh, accountant. <laughs> I told me that, and it stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, this is perhaps true, you know? And, you know, this was not the only reason why I decided to be uh, not, no longer a sideman, you know, but um, there was other reasons too. Like, sideman side is a particular animal. You have to withstand abuse because not all the people that you're going to be working for, they're going to pay you money, are going to be nice to you. You know, so this is another reason to be a be sideman. I can choose the people that I that I want to work with. You know, but anyway, you know, so I'm saying this this expansion of like having different interests is is essential to how I identify as to myself as a as a person. You know, um, the drummer might become a persona for some people. You know, but behind that persona. Is an identity of someone that um, have too many interests to just lock them out. I want the things to come true through the lens or the the magnifying glass of my instrument that I know how to operate. And the drums is something that I know to operate, you know, fairly well. You know, so I I'm trying to use it to to do exactly that. Wonderful. I'm I'm also interested and intrigued to understand your process of creating music uh, i'm sure it's drawn by a lot of influences and some inspiration that you draw 
for the music uh you you've put out your music uh in a certain vocabulary and there is a certain territory associated with it right so mm-hmm. where and how are these ideas born for you and is is it born as a story or is it the idea in itself and how does it unfold okay um this is something that i've been talking about uh frequently you know um you know i i believe basically the the creative process there's two different approaches that we can take i mean there's, there's more but but there's main two main approaches the way i see it right with there's a neurotic approach mm-hmm. and there's a schizophrenic approach the neurotic approach is like let me explain to you the erotic, uh, the the, uh, the neurotic approach it's like um i'm painting a picture and mm-hmm. and I get my scaffold, I get a piece of paper or you know, whatever tools, pencil or, or, or brushes. I, I look out of the, the window and I take this impression in mm-hmm. and I'm trying to replicate this. You know, I remember or you know, uh, maybe I do it from memory, maybe I just look at it, you know, but I'm trying to replicate from what I see or I try to replicate what I have in my mind. Got you know, it. I use my skill to replicate what I have in my mind. That's a neurotic approach. The schizophrenic approach is different. Mm-hmm. The schizophrenic approach deals much more with your subconscious. Let me give you another example. Like, for instance, a Rorschach test, you know, that's used in psychology. Like you have a book. You yeah. open the book with its pages and you put some ink in it and you close the book and then you reopen it again. Then it has certain shapes, and you might discover a butterfly in it, or you mm-hmm. might discover some shape. You're like, okay, there's a butterfly, you know. Right. Uh, the same thing with if you look at the clouds in the sky, mm-hmm. you know, say, oh, this looks like a dog with an umbrella, Correct. you know. And I can describe it to my girlfriend, and she doesn't see it. No, 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 look, look, see that thing that this is the nose, and there's the eyes, and then it's the umbrella, and then she sees it as well. So right. this would be an artistic process. Because I'm not the only person that discovers the dog, but I'm able to articulate it so other people can can see it as well. Right. Okay, right. so this is those are two different things. So when I do things creatively, I jump back and forth between those two things. You know, Got it. you know, sometimes a mistake can yeah. be a really powerful mm-hmm. opportunity to discover something that. Your subconscious already knows, or you emotionally you have it, but your stubbornness and your ego doesn't allow it to come out. You know, so there's certain techniques, uh, like the Rorschach test, would be such a technique to kind of like trick your mind to take a back seat and shut up, so your subconscious can express it, it itself. So, in order to take take things to take shape of things. Sometimes you have an idea, you know, and that might be, oh, okay. Uh, you become obsessed with it and you figure out uh, it's a disappointment or it gets frustrating because it does, you can't get it to mirror the vision that, that you had. Yeah. And th- there's two ways to do it. You can keep on digging and keep on working on it, keep on working, but you somehow will have to figure out what keeps you from succeeding, you know. 
And that's usually the way you look at it. You know, it's a, it, it, it's your vantage point. Back in the days, I used to be extremely perfectionistic, mm -hmm. you know, which involves your ego. And it makes your life miserable and the life of everybody else just surrounds you. When I realized at some point that I, I artistically, I can afford to not be perfectionistic as long as I'm able to get the idea from, I, from A to B. So right now, for me, clarity is much more important than perfection. I don't concern myself with perfection, only with clarity. So this takes a big burden of my shoulders. Something that, that, that presses creative people down is the aim for creativity. Creativity is a fata morgana. The closer you come, the further it moves away. So at this point, I don't concern myself with something that has not to be, has not to be perfect. It has to work, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a good work, uh, way. So um, then I have an idea and say, okay, not everything can be created from a genius, you know, something that doesn't have a beginning, really. Most people steal from other people. Frank Zappa once said, good composer borrow, great composer steal. What he means by that is the great composer steals, but he doesn't get caught stealing. Yeah. Everybody steals, everybody steals, you know, and, and I think you do it with respect. But it, when you do, when you take an idea that someone else had and you're able to deal with that, that nobody realizes it, then it means you've been putting enough of your own thinking into it so it can become something new, you know. Right. Yeah. I, th I think it's quite arrogant to like say, well, you know, this is genius. You know, most people that I believe that people would uh, provide the attribute of, oh, this is genius. I don't think they're genius, you know. Like, let's say the Beatles. I don't think they were geniuses. Extremely talented people working extremely hard, hard. Yeah. you know. This is far more often what's happening. Mm -hmm. But the label of genius is much more easier marketable yeah. than the than oh these are talented and, and they work really hard. Yeah, that's why you know we talk about geniuses far too often. There's not as many around. You know, uh, um, mostly a lot of work and, and and a lot of desperation and a lot of strength to keep on going. You know, that in the end provides the results that people are touched or impressed by, you know. <laughs> Does this answer your question? Very much, very much. I have another follow-up question to that. How often does this vision get modified or improved upon? And then you feel this great surge of satisfaction that I've made this happen, you know, in terms of the process that we spoke of. You know, with, with almost anything that I did in my life mm -hmm. that I'm proud of right now, yeah. there was a moment where I was really scared. You know, like, like you know, when we talk about um, 
those uh, instructional videos, for instance, you yeah. know, um, I went so deep down the rabbit hole to compile this this volume. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, um, and I did it with a partner, with a friend of mine, and we were looking at this, and I completely lost distance from it. You know, I I, I couldn't judge it anymore because I was so immersed in it. And it was great to have someone on the outside. Outside. I was like, you know, this is terrible. People are going to laugh at me. You know, this is so stupid. You know, I was like, listen, we got to put this out, you know. And then we we asked Hudson Music if they were interested to, to, uh, to distribute it, you know, because we produce it by ourselves. Okay. And Hudson was like, oh, this is great. You know, <laughs> we, we'd love to have that, you know. And it became... Probably one of the best-selling, if not the best-selling tutorial on drumming technique, which right before it, it, it hit the public eye, I had lost confidence about it, you know? And now the thing, I was much younger back then than I'm right now, and I have a little bit more, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit more confidence in my confidence, you know, um, so to say. <clears throat> and uh, I think it's a part of the creative process. It's a part of the shadow side, the destructive side that we discussed before. And right. um, that to, to, to go somewhere where nobody has gone before is scary, you know, and, and um, it can fail. It can fail. And it's very hard, the, the thought, bear that it can fail mm-hmm. so for me um it's like just pushing through you know like uh, um developing a habit of like n- you know not to, not to listen to every little demon or that crawls on my shoulder and tries to give me a wise blah 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 I say okay <laughs> take a number and have a seat you know i gotta deal with you later you know it's just basically just managing your your focus you know and to wait to be able to do it um long enough to for it for it to come out so basically there's a certain fate in it you know i'm i'm also privileged that i have a group of people around me you know although very often it is a very solitary process to do the important work you know um my girlfriend is an extremely um you know a distinguished uh um observer of things because she knows how i how i how i behave behind the drum kit or behind a computer or when we do something else or you know i have a group of friends that you know will will give their opinion on it you know which is very helpful it's like okay um say you know what i think you think too much about this don't worry about it Focus on this. I think this 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 is more of like a problem. Yeah. You know, so um as said, you know, having the right people around you is is important. You know, and, yeah. and they help you. They help you too. How how vulnerable do you feel each time there is a music launch happening or there's new music to be out, for instance, uh in terms of how the audiences might receive it? 
most people sort of uh, anguish and agonize over each cough that comes from the audience and each ring these days on the mobile phone right uh, how secure oh. do you feel uh, in terms of this uh, as to i've done my best and now i'm putting it out in the public domain right you know yeah, i'm so glad you asked this question you know and uh, um, okay this question addresses probably most of my concern of where I still want to grow yeah. as an artist, as a musician, as a human being, is being able to allow vulnerability. You know, it comes back to the first question that, that you have. You know, people are being touched. You, know, you, you can communicate with people emotionally yeah. on the highest degree if you surrender that you're not a machine that you're a human being you know that 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 you you know that you're okay with failure mm -hmm. i think this is the highest level of artistry you know being able to uh, to allow vulnerability you know you can you can impress people you can do all sorts of stuff and this is there's a famous quote of Bruce Lee was saying, you know, I can be cocky, I can do all sorts of things, you know, <laughs> but to really express yourself honestly, honestly, yeah. is very difficult, my friend, you know. Yeah. And basically, it's because of that vulnerability. And even for Bruce Lee at this point, who was much younger than I am right now, you know, and a, and a person that has provided, you know, made a lot of contribution, maybe. Deep down inside, he was a profoundly insecure person, you know, and and he was struggling with that. But otherwise, he wouldn't have understood that. And and you know, if I look at people, some of the old guys, you know, that start to be old until they die or until they their body doesn't allow them to no longer do that, you know, like someone like Wayne Shorter, you know, he has this quality. He's a true magician, you know. Like, because I, he allows himself to, to be vulnerable. And when you allow yourself this, um, the possibility to fail, yeah. the real dragon can come out. <laughs> the, you know, something, because it's something that is bigger than your ego. You know, yeah. it, um, I think that that's when it comes out. And that's also, I, I realize I perform the best when I don't think, when I my, when my mind is completely blank, mm -hmm. and I can keep it blank for okay. the entirety of like, uh, you know, I don't want to be destructed. You know, it's like I can be destructed. Uh, um, uh, uh, I can be uh, distracted, destructed as well um, by you know uh, a sheer amount of uh, um, you know love from their audience you know it feels good yeah. it feels good to anyone to be you know to step out on the stage and you have an entire arena you know cheering mm -hmm. it's it's a good feeling you can get addicted to this yeah you know and if you addicted your persona you know you that it's the it's like a drug it's a very powerful drug so 
you can also be addicted to the fear of have a heckler in the audience that will you know say something or do something okay artistically i can provide the best performance if i you know i acknowledge it that it is but i i somehow need to be able to calibrate it on to which degree it uh affects me you know in a positive as in a negative way mm -hmm. so, um this you know this i don't want to be misunderstood because you know i i i, I value an audience that shows up to come to see what play as this is the you know the, um we had a song with the band nerve it's called to listen is to love and i really believe this you know like one of the highest you know privileges that one human can give to another human is his, his attention so you know I hold my audience in an extremely high esteem, extremely high esteem. But I learned from my ex or from my experience as a sideman. Mm -hmm. I worked with some people that were equally talented, equally successful. Yeah. But for that, for some of them, it was really pleasurable to work for, and for other one, it was very stressful. And I came to the conclusion for the people that it is pleasurable to work with, they have an attitude. I will do. I have a. I have a talent. I'm. A, I'm aware of it. You know, I will try to do my best. And what I give to you tonight is the best that I can give. And if it's not enough, I'm very sorry. But this is what I have. Where the insecure person needs applause and he will reach for applause for anything he will even turn into someone else in order to do that <laughs> you know so there are some very famous people very successful they became devoured by this need for applause you know and we all know who i'm talking about you know it's very easy to understand oh okay this guy is, is, is turning over backwards to be to remain successful where other people are perfectly fine with yeah you know i had i had the i had my time where where thousands of people were looking at me and now it's a couple of hundred but i can still can do this on myself you know whatever and i i aspire to be in that category of artists simply because uh it's a it's a much better life to have <laughs> success is not everything you know money is not everything yep. most of the time you're not on stage and i have to be able to live with that person as i'm saying i'm still working on that you know this is a long process you know and yeah. I have my good moments and I have my moments that are not that that good, but uh, I'm 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 becoming I think I'm becoming better about it. You know? <laughs> you're being uh, you're being very modest there. <laughs> well, that's vulnerability. Important, yeah. right? Yeah. In in one of your documentaries, you've quoted that the first half of your pursuit was how to learn how to fly, right? And in the second half, you'd consider landing. Where are mm -hmm. you right now with regard to that pursuit? Um, 
Well, okay, after 30 years in New York, moving to Switzerland, it's a different life. It's a part of landing, you know. I decided I needed a different uh, geographical point to to okay. land. Uh, you know, somehow also returning to family a little bit, you right. know. Uh, and returning and you know, somehow like really understand what is really important to me, you know, and, and that is a landing process. And, and you know, it's like, uh, you know, we just had a, uh, an unbelievable, um, you know, at this uh, pandemic, this global pandemic, you know, this is something that, Change touched everybody's life, you know, to to various degrees, uh, and it has touched my life as well, you know. And there was a lot of time to think about things, you know, and how the thing, how they were before, how they were going to be after. So, the process of landing for me came at the same time with something that entered all our, our lives, where we could take things that we took. For granted, it's no longer for granted, you know. So I was like, okay, I'm very well aware for you know for the time that I still have uh, in this existence, you know. Um, you know what would be the best way to the most creative way, the um, the most beautiful way to spend it, you know. So I think that is. That came, and once again, the landing thing, you need the right people around you to go, hey, you can land here, <laughs> you know, right. it would be nice, you know. So this is it, but the, it, it, it's also, it is, a it is a process, the landing, yeah. Yeah. the landing, you know, because the flying is the flying, I can still fly, you know, like whenever I play music but uh, my my vantage point will be a different one a slightly different one i mean you know I, I always want to have room for the inner child to play and to roam and to express the kid the child can never die you know it's more with the childishness that you have to deal you know so the, the old, no matter how old I get, you know, I, I need to provide room for the child to play. And when this is happening, I'm flying, you know, but I can't have an existence of flying because, you know, at a certain age, your body doesn't allow you to do it in the same way as with a young body, you know. And that is also, you know, for me, when I observe older performers that up until very high age can provide magnificent experiences to their audiences, where others cannot are no longer capable of doing that, you know, because their their body and their mind uh, regresses. So I think 
when you stop, you don't actually stop, but you move backwards. But that's why you have to move, you have to push forwards in order to keep moving. You know, this is the reward. Uh, it's difficult, you know, to push onwards all the time. It's difficult sometimes to retain your curiosity. Yeah. But I think it those are curiosity is one of the key elements of living versus existing, you know? And I have the extreme privilege that I have a profession where I can express this. It's wonderful, you know? I mean, I do have hobbies and stuff, but, you know, yeah. it takes care of a lot of different things, you know? Yeah. Like uh, music is, is my teacher. I learn things from music that I can apply in in my life and I do learn things and you know I mean I I just started to cook which is something that most people do I never cooked in my life I couldn't cook you know right. I'm discovering oh and some things that I know about music uh, well this is the same as like making a good song it's the same <laughs> as you know making a good performance you know right. it has to do with time measurement calibration haste not too much, you know, just the, the improvisation right also. <laughs> it, totally, you know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I discovered that maybe I'm a good cook, you know, I could be a good cook. Yeah. Although I started very late, you know. Yeah. So th this this is what I'm saying. Like the landing landing is uh, is a different point of view. But um, I'm in the process and I'm I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, <laughs> Corona was landing for a lot of people. Right. You know, painful, very much. So it it helped. You know, yeah. it helped because literally I was flying. You know, traveling constantly, constantly on the way to the airport, constantly packing, constantly doing unpacking, and to have uh, outside, uh, outside. Um, you know, occurrences mm -hmm. being prohibitive of that, you know, yeah. in a way was a blessing in disguise because I had to really go deep in, you know, where I, I could not go outside anymore. I had to go inside more, more forcefully go inside, you know, more, uh, more sensitively. In, and, and, you know, and, and it was also great that I, you know, that I started with this new tool and started new music, you know, something that I, had to do by myself, you know, to learn algorithmic programming, you know, learning about probability, learning about chaos. You have to do it by yourself, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and I could do it, you know, at the privacy of my home. And, and that's what I did. So uh, it, it, it was a, a blessing in disguise, you know, as horrible as it was, you know, yeah. participating yeah. and a part of landing. <laughs> <laughs> I also noticed that you have a fascination for sharks. You seem to have quite a vast collection displayed yeah, in I your mean, showcase. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, most people have an obsession with something, you know, and, and this is something that comes to my childhood. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, uh, <laughs> I think it goes back to when I was maybe four or five years old yeah. and my parents took me to the movie 
to see mm-hmm. a James Bond movie. Okay. I think it was Thunderball. Yeah, def- definitely it was it was Thunderball. And in that in that in that movie, it has a scene where the villain has a has a has a swimming pool okay. where he puts like the people that he doesn't like, you know, throws them in for the sharks to eat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was really impressed by that as a kid. Because more so than dinosaurs or or fantasy figures, that oh, this is a real animal that it can eat you, you know, <laughs> not in the swimming pool, but in the swimming pool. So of course, I developed a, a real shark phobia. You know, I have, you know, I kind of loved sharks, but I was also very scared of them. You know, got it. So uh, uh, whenever there was sharks, you know, I, I was into it. So getting older. Uh, I started to appreciate more of like how old and how perfect these animals are. You know, they were un- they were living fossils in a way. Yeah, they're you know past more than sixty million years old and virtually unchanged. That means they're doing there's something right about them. You know, <laughs> uh, despite the, the narrative that we make around them as like terrible creatures. You know. Yeah. And and you know every once in a while something there's a bad encounter, but it's it's you know like mo- much more people are getting killed by by dogs or cows or other animals, you know. And so, but you know, it has a spectacular mythology, you know. And 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 I'm interested in like mythology, uh, as we talked about before, you know, like the persona and you know, and, and they're they're mythological creatures, you know, and. and um, I still started to collect those <laughs> things. You know, it was it was a joke. Basically. It was a joke, but all of a sudden, I had so many of them <laughs> that, that that Aaron, uh, the engineer, would like nerves. Like, hey, you know, let's do a movie. Let's do a record about shark, uh, about a, a conceptual one. So, and like the yeah. cover of the Nerve record is made out of a, a small portion of my shark collection. <laughs> uh, like we made we made the the Nerve font from it. Uh, so that's that. That's basically it. And I mean, I, I, you know, I went diving with sharks, and uh, I was I went cage diving with great whites, which was fantastic. You know, it was like actually since I did that, I'm not scared of sharks anymore. You know, it was almost like oh, okay, uh, very humbling experience because you know you you witness an animal like this not in the zoo. But in its natural habitat, you know, you're the guest, you know, right. and you have to take it easy. And, uh, you know, kind of like a, it's a privilege to yeah. be able to 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 observe those animals in in their habitat. It's amazing. I mean, apart from how big they are, <laughs> you know, and, um, it was great. Yeah. So uh, that's it with the sharks in a nutshell. <laughs> but speaking about your fascination for animals in general, back in your place in Rushlikon, you've you mm. got a floor dedicated for reptiles. You pet some very exotic animals that include snakes, alligators, tarantulas. Uh, how do you pet them? And would it be appropriate to call you Switzerland's Doctor Doolittle? Uh, no. Well, first of all, yeah. that's my parents' house. It's not okay. my house. You know. Okay. I mean, you know, we still have a lot of greenery in here, but this is because uh, mm-hmm. uh, my girlfriend is a is a very passionate gardener, and, and okay. 
and she's a landscape architect and Lovely. Um, it really, really benefits me <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was my parents house okay that you were talking about and my dad he's a jazz musician yeah but he studied zoology oh wow yeah and he uh, and he did be he, 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 his his career as a musician as a hobby musician took off so we were like oh well i can play with all these people now and so he threw the zoology overboard but we remained uh, a very passionate uh, zoologist and okay. he has a big, very very big passion for for animals he was traveling around the world because he was a musician and what, wherever he went you know uh, my dad spent months living in the jungle by himself he was studying animals and stuff like that so he has a very a, a pretty profound knowledge Specifically about reptiles, yep. and uh, also uh, uh, arachnids like uh, spiders. So I yep. also grew up with scorpions and spiders and stuff like that. Wow! Uh, but you know, so we had so many animals. Uh, uh, we had uh, uh, crocodiles and and uh, giant salamanders. You know, uh, iguanas, and we also had cats. You know, and. <laughs> And rabbits uh, but you know i grew up with uh with a lot of animals and snakes you know we had uh, boas like long you know four meter snakes and um that was normal you know i didn't even realize that it was not normal you know because they were always around you know even we even had uh, uh flying foxes you know bats and stuff uh, <laughs> uh um Incredible. And, and you know a lot of uh a lot of animals from India and because he was studying zoology yeah. he had a license to keep some of these animals and you know he kept them really well you know I mean some of some of our the animals that we have they grew much older than they usually grow in captivity oh, you know yeah. so uh, um, uh, he really loves these animals and you know he's, he has a relationship with them and um, and uh, yeah, so uh, I basically, other than the music, uh, you know, my love for nature and animals comes from my childhood. Got it. Let's move to the final segment of our interview, which is the rapid fire segment. And I'm going to give you very concise questions. You don't have to think too much. Yes. And you can be spontaneous with your answers. All right. So first question for you, Jojo. What is that one song that always makes you cry? Um, what's the name of that song? It's called Daddy Dear, Daddy Dear, right. Is the World Really Round? That makes me cry. Right. <laughs> On the contrary, the what, yeah. what is your favorite yeah. gift? Daddy Dear, it's called Daddy Dear. Daddy, Daddy Dear. Dear, right. Yeah. What is your favorite guilty pleasure song on the contrary? Oh. You know, I don't really have a guilty pleasure song, but, you know, and sometimes I would listen to some, some fusion that is a little bit on the guilty pleasure side, you know. Okay. okay. <laughs> if you could put an all-star... Uh, drum, bass, electronic project together. Who'd be in uh, it? 
The guys in my band Nerve. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> well, if it was an ulcer, you know, of course, Apex Swin would be in it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if I had to give you two options, uh, because from what I've noticed, you're someone who is for health on the road and you snack on uh, uh, dry fruits, etc. Uh, or if I had to give you some Swiss chocolates, which would which one would you pick? Chocolate. What's your favorite uh, kind of chocolate? Oh, you going into you know um um I really like dark chocolates. Uh, I like dark chocolate with um, with almonds. Okay. Um, I like you know pow- <laughs> those chocolate powdered almonds. Mm-hmm. Very addictive, you know. Uh, there's some chocolate that small shops in Switzerland make that's probably not available in most places around the world. It's very local. Right. Uh, I mean, for the Swiss, they, this they really know <laughs> the chocolate stuff. So it's not a part of uh, sweetening the landing. It's the chocolate that they have <laughs> here. Is because I I'm addicted to chocolate. You know? Got it. What are, what are the top two spiritual techniques that you embody at this point in time? Uh, gratitude. And if that doesn't work, more gratitude. <laughs> okay. Gratitude, I think, sums it up, yeah. What are the top five bands that you're listening to right now? And, and something that we might want to check out. Oh, bands. Mm. Well, right now, I've not really been listening to bands. You know, I, I'm listening more, more to composers. Uh, um, yeah, I don't been listening to, to bands. Uh, uh, I sometimes, you know, for a very specific time, if I have an interest in something, you know, uh, well, you know, I would listen to a band particular from a particular, yeah. Um, but not really. I don't really listen to a band particularly right now. Okay. okay. Uh, we have a lot of uh, audience from India and other parts of the world. They are very intrigued to know some anecdotes uh, during your time with Nina Simone and uh, with Michelle. You you did okay. you had quite a stint with them, so they're interested in knowing some interesting anecdotes you had as a performer with them. Well, you know, I, um, you know, the Nina Simone thing, you know, that I quoted that once, you know, uh, like I I worked with Nina Simone while I was working with Monty Alexander's band, you know, and we were back up. Uh, we were doing backup for like a lot of people um, uh, at that point, you know, like like Dizzy Gillespie, et cetera, et cetera. And I once mentioned this in an interview, you know, and I can't get rid of it anymore. You know, like I'm always like, oh, what about Nina Simone? Now, okay, my experience with like Nina Simone was, uh, you know, she was like very manic <laughs> at this, at the time where I was, working with her and I was not really acquainted with much of her work. Okay. And we would, we did not have, not have a single rehearsal. We just went out there and started playing. 
and and her command, uh, her her presence. I have to say this not only goes for like Nina Simone, but this also goes for 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 a lot of the the old guys that I had the that I had the uh, the privilege of like working, you know, like like Dizzy or, or like uh, Monty Alexander. They could just start playing, and the clarity that they, you know, would um, uh, communicate was you knew exactly what's going to what's going to happen next. You know, this is like a skill that not a lot of people still have, which are alive today. You know, that I'm very glad to. This is something I would say really, uh, um, you know, separates my experience with the old guys, you know, that that from the 40s and the 50s and 60s that, you know, as when I was really, really young, I could work with them. It's like this ability to communicate musically. And with Nina Simone, that was very, very strong, both ways, to the audience and with the band at the same time, you know, without even um, very strong, very strong point of view artistically. Got it. Yeah. Uh, with Michelle, <clears throat> you know, the, what was different between um, Nina Simone was uh, already well. She was actually she was my age right now. You know. Okay. Okay. It's like I think it was like around sixty, uh, and and Michelle was very young. You know, and and Michelle. I worked with Michelle maybe, maybe like three years, like even before she was on the radar. And what was really cool with Michelle is, uh, although I came from Switzerland, there was a lot of the stuff that I was listening to mm-hmm. uh, that <coughs> uh, a lot of the funk drummers at that particular time in New York, their style was not, um, uh, it was a different style. New York funk was one particular style. It was very um, kind of gospel oriented, very heavy backbeat. But um, I grew up listening to stuff like Ice Brothers and the Brothers Johnson, where people like Harvey Mason played the drums, yeah. which was had a lighter touch and a more sparkly atmosphere you know also the stuff that mike clark did or and michelle was deeply into this this music you know yeah and when we connected you know we're like well hey you know all that stuff i am having trouble to find guys in new york who know those records you know so this was kind of like um how we connected towards old records that i listened to when in zurich when i was a kid and she listened to in DC when she was a kid, you know, and we met in New York somehow. Uh, and I learned a bunch of things from like um, Michelle, you know, I think that she considered her to be one of the most talented persons that I, that I uh, collaborated with, you know, it was really fantastic. The music was so, such a high level and, and it was fresh, you know, and, and it was just like, uh, well, it was like on a highway with, you know, extreme speed, you know, yeah. like uh, uh, even, you know, it came to like a point where, you know, it was too much for me and I needed a break. 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, Michelle is an, is an incredible artist, you know, and uh, well, obviously not obscure, but I think, you know, maybe one of the reasons that, you know, she didn't become bigger, you know, I mean, you know, I, I rate her talent to be on the level of like, you know, whatever. Prince or some other people, right. but she was very political, and right. she think about things that a lot of people just didn't want to hear. So. Sure. In the yeah. interest of time, I have one last question for you, uh, which is a custom in all of my interviews, and I ask all my distinguished guests this very question. So, Jojo, here's the question: uh, Down in the distant horizon. What would you want to be remembered as? What do I do? I want to be remembered. What? What yes. do I mean? Yeah. What What do you want to be remembered as? I don't really care. Okay. I don't really care. Okay. I don't really care. I just try to do. I don't care what people will be remembering me with, you know, I mean, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't aspire to immortality. Mm -hmm. You know, I come to terms that, you know, I have one existence or this existence and I make the best out of it. And that's it. You know, I think any aspiration to like hope what people will remember me, it's like trying to, you know, get a grasp of a little piece of immortality. I don't care for it, no. Very, very interesting take. Uh, on that note, we will continue to celebrate the dozen marvelous musical pieces that you have for the world and uh, your showmanship that you have displayed and still happening in the, in the next set of shows that you have to put out. And in terms of your rich composition skills and uh, it, it sort of, you know, projects a very rich and intense life that all of us sort of await. So thank you so much well, for that. Yeah. I, it, I have to give credit to the guys in my band because mm -hmm. they also collaborate on mm -hmm. a lot of the music, you know, with, right. with Nerf. Right. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before we conclude, this interview will additionally air on Big FM Shillong and Azol on the Sunday show between 5 to 6 p.m. And it'll also be on my YouTube channel and Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'll be sure to share these links with you. Uh, we'll continue to stay in touch. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great blessing, honor, and a privilege. Thank you so much for your time, Jojo. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks everybody for watching. Hope to see you soon in India or wherever you are. Thanks. All Thanks and take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.